Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. It was like this buildup of kind of layers of protection. Each time something would happen, it, I was just wiring my own brain to say, I am worth being abandoned. I'm not worth sticking around for. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. Hey everyone, just a heads up, the audio in this episode isn't the best quality. I apologize in advance and hope you'll still enjoy the amazing content within this episode. I am joined today in person, I wish we were on video, by a lovely lady, Hillary. Oh my gosh, we have kind of a crazy story of how we got connected. Nothing is coincidence, I don't think, and I think there's totally a reason how we got here. I was in a coffee shop doing my work, and and I sat down next to you, and you were just busy talking to your friends, and then all of a sudden you said, oh yeah, back in Oklahoma, and I like my ear perked up, and I was like, what? Then I could tell that they were about to leave your friends, and I so I had I had to say something. I was like, did you just mention Oklahoma? And you were like, yeah, I'm from Oklahoma City. And then <laughs> my world was shattered. I was like, what the heck? So then I was like, you know, I'm from Oklahoma City, right? And then this is how the conversation got started. And then we just sat there for another hour and talked, and it was amazing. And I just knew you had to be on the podcast. I knew I had to get your story and I wanted you to share more. And so here we are about a month later having just honestly just a casual conversation. I think you and I have very similar paths, very Mm -hmm. similar lives and just excited to dive deeper into that today. And I know it's going to be very enlightening. I think everyone's going to get so much from it. I think life is all about sharing our stories. That's the only way we are able to relate to people, to grow, to heal, to see and be inspired, to be like, well, that person has gone through all of that. I know that helps me a lot when I hear real stories. If I'm going through a tough time and I hear of someone just going through a rough time or just as bad or worse, and I'm like, they got through it. And it just inspires me. And what's crazy is that ever since I've had my podcast, I feel like I've met people. They just come into my life and I'm like, you totally align with what I'm trying to do. You have to be a guest. That's how most of my guests have even come about is just like meeting them randomly. So let's go ahead and dive in. We realized, like I said, we had so much in common, but I think our main commonality was we both had been like on a journey. Mm -hmm. We both had started a journey from somewhere. And honestly, I don't think everyone finds that path. I don't think everyone comes to that awareness in life, which is honestly sad, I think. But clearly you did, which is why I think we were connected. I love to dive deeper into people's journeys. I love to know how they got there, 
how it came about, how it started. I also think usually this is from a rock bottom moment. I think that's usually where people start that journey. I really think it's rare that people are like, okay, I think I'm just going to like start a self healing journey today, you know? (laughs) So it definitely, for me, it started from a rock bottom moment or several. My first question and how we'll just kick off our conversation is, have you always been into healing, spirituality, self-reflection, or did this come from a major aha moment or rock bottom moment or several in your life? I would say both. I would say that I, from an early age, you know, I'm an only child. So there's a lot of time spent with myself and in my head. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a lot of questions and I've always wanted to know why. And I've always been a little probably challenging asking why and and why do I need to do this? And I don't, you know, trying to understand things at a deeper level. I would say that throughout my life, I had probably a series of dips and then probably one big dip that I would call my rock bottom moment. And it hasn't necessarily been smooth sailing since then. There's been more dips, but there's one part of my life that I can definitely tie into that piece. But I would say that I started really seeking self-help in college. You know, I grew up in Oklahoma City. I had a very, quote, normal, privileged life, nothing to really report to parents who loved me very much, who did their best with me, went to great school, had good friends, all the things. What I will call my kind of, we'll say, welcome to trauma moment, for me started around, I'm going to say around 13, mm-hmm. between 13 and 15. And and what happened with me, it was kind of like, like a series of traumatic events for me. And it started with the death of my grandmother. So she was so much a mother figure to me. And I know you can probably sort of relate to this part too. She was like the thing in my life that I can even still reach into where I felt safe and seen and loved and authentic. Like I was just allowed to be me. Yeah, I was a child. I spent my summers there. I spent my vacations there. She lived in a small town in Oklahoma called Pawhuska. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've but never heard of very it. Very tiny. That's where my dad grew up. And, you know, there was a big extended family there. And so I would go and spend the summers and I'd have cousins and uncles and aunts. And it was just this really natural, beautiful life. So when she passed away, it was sudden, traumatic, I think, for everybody involved. So, you know, and I'm a firm believer that it's not what happens. It's what we do with the feelings about what happens when we're talking about trauma. So, you know, I don't even like to talk about big trauma, little trauma, big T, little T, because I think it's all different for each person. And for me personally, I didn't have a space that felt safe to deal with the emotions about what had happened. Um, I think everyone was doing their best and I, you know, was just sort of lost, not having siblings. You know, I think everyone was like, all right, this happened. Let's, you know, let's, let's keep moving forward. And shortly after that, my parents divorced. And I remember my mom, she came to pick me up from high school. So I was still not even able to drive yet, probably 15, 14, 15. And she pulled up and I got in the car and she said, you know, your dad left today. That was how I learned. And I said, I need to go use the restroom. And I went back inside the building. I remember a friend of mine saying, are you okay? Probably the look on my face. I remember I went into the bathroom stall. I cried a minute and I went back and got in the car and went home. 
And that was how I processed the emotions about that. So there wasn't a lot of processing going on. Um, this is obviously a very challenging age for most, especially, well, probably men and women. But for me, my body was changing. I was going through puberty. Hormones were a little crazy. I remember, I believe it was the summer after eighth grade, I went off to a, a dance camp. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And my best friend... <laughs> I came back and she tells the story. She's like, Hillary went to Vermont for like six weeks to dance and she came back with these huge boots. <laughs> and we don't know where they came from. And it really was like that. And it was, for me, it was traumatic. Oh. It was very traumatic. My body had moved into a space that I didn't know what to do with. So I was a classically trained ballet dancer from the time I was young. And that was just not acceptable. Yeah. I mean, that was a problem that was identified as a problem. So immediately when I start experiencing this shift in life, I'm told we have a problem and it's your body. So that message was oh, yeah. pretty That's quick and injected deep in there, right? Deep away. in there, right away. Something's wrong. And how old were you when that happened? Uh, 14. Okay. So like right. In the it's all in the same. It's oh all gosh. going on yeah. at the same time. And, uh, again, I was like, okay, we have a problem. And so I'm trying to navigate, like, you know, I'm running high school track with like four sports bras and, and dancing. And, and I remember one time overhearing, and I don't even remember where, but it was, I was, I was doing a dance performance at high school, which was probably number one mistake for the audience. But I just remember hearing, she's that freshman dancer with the boobs. Mm. And it was so like demoralizing. Demoralizing. Yeah. It's like, you know, I have so much more to offer yeah. than that. And I didn't like the way it made me feel either. That's crazy. Some women would hear that or be in that position and can go either two either ways. Way. You can be either cover up and be ashamed or you can be like flaunted and be like, look at me, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like you and went I, more of the shameful route. Yeah. I think a lot of the messages that I grew up with, which was, you know, you, you present well, it matters what other people think. Yeah. Um, this is how you need to look. I mean, all those things, which I at the time subscribed to as truth. Shortly into my freshman year, you know, I was in high school and I was experimenting with socializing, things like that. And alcohol came into the picture. And I had an instance where basically I was raped at a party in high school. And it was a weird sort of like, I was not able to say that for probably a, a very long time because I put a lot of the responsibility on myself. Guilt. Like I shouldn't have been drinking. Maybe I shouldn't have these boobs. Maybe I shouldn't draw so much attention to myself. Maybe I did something. Maybe it was what I was wearing. You know, all the things that we do. So that's kind of the history of what I like to call my collective trauma because it all happened so quickly. And again, each of those things were, were horrible, but not something that people don't deal with, but it was kind of all of it at once yeah. and not really having what I felt like a safe space was to process my emotions. And I'm not saying that I didn't, I was never told that I didn't, but I didn't ever see that growing up. Um, it wasn't a place where we talked a lot about feelings. It was very foreign and feelings were scary. And when we did talk about feelings, I would burst into tears like immediately, like anytime I had to sit down, even today, I'll sit yeah. down with my dad to talk about something that's like yeah. really serious. And I'm like, ah, like yeah. right away. It's just like the waterworks. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, it was, it was dance. That was my thing. And especially, so when all this kind of stuff happened, that's where I 
drove all of my energy into was dancing. At 15, I had a massive breast reduction. Oh my gosh. In high school. Yeah. Didn't tell anyone what was going on. Everyone thought they were like, did you lose weight? Like nobody could really figure out what was different about me. Like I said, I saw it as a problem. It needed to be fixed. So I went and fixed my body. Was that after the incident with drinking? It was after the sexual assaults. It was, yeah, yeah, it was, that was probably the very last thing. And in my mind, I fixed the problem. Yeah. Because now I look the way. If these go away, everything's fixed. Yes. Mm -hmm. I won't get unwanted male attention. Mm -hmm. I will be able to dance, which is where I'm most connected is in movement with my body. You know, I won't have to give that up. Mm -hmm. I had a high school boyfriend that kind of swooped in who was a very safe, normal, happy, you know, person. And so I just kind of did that. Yeah. For a while. So that was the ticket. That was the solution. That was kind of, I just, yeah, I just threw myself into, you know, dancing. Um, I had a lot of disordered eating because that was part of dancing. It was sort of expected. You know, yeah, I was probably a little challenging and wild in high school. You know, when I wasn't in the dance studio, I'd be out and drinking and numbing. And, you know, because if I wasn't moving and I had to sit still, I had to feel. And that wasn't something that I knew how to do. And um, I didn't feel safe doing it. I kind of felt like I might catch fire if I were to feel anything. So I would numb with either hyper-focused body image issues or drinking or drugs or... Are you saying all of this in reflection looking back or did you know at that time that this is what was happening? I'm saying this all in reflection looking back. It took me many, many years to kind of realize what I was doing and how I was coping. Yeah. All right. Because at the time I thought I'm doing great. I'm super strong. Like all these things happen and look at me, I'm still going, you know, and and I'm not crying about it. We are so similar. I know. I know. We are so similar. So I just drove, I just, you know, I was like, I'm going to be performance oriented. I, you know, I had a very, there were very high expectations of me as a dancer, as a student, as a daughter, you know, I was not anything less than an A was not acceptable grade wise. So, I mean, there was a very, a push to excel. Education was really important to my family is. So I worked as hard as I could in dance. I was very accomplished. I auditioned and got into NYU at Tisch School of the Arts. I was one of 16. Wow. The year that I went from all over the world. So that was a super, like, it was exciting. There, yeah, and major accomplishment. It was a major accomplishment. And so that's, but that's really where things start to break down. So moving, going to college, moved to New York City, didn't know anybody, enroll in this amazing dance program. And uh, just, went for it. Yeah. It was scary, but it was flying by the yeah, I, like, I want to do it. That's all I ever wanted to do. I just want to dance. Yeah, that's all I want to do. So I went up there doing exactly what I thought I wanted to do. The boyfriend from high school, we were still kind of like long distance yeah. dating. And in reflection, like I said, I threw myself into that and dance and, and that thing. So we went back and forth a couple of times visiting each other. He flew up to New York City for a weekend and, and broke up with me. <laughs> While he was there. Oh, no. And it's like, it, now I giggle about it because, you know, but at the time. At the time, that's like, you think that's love. You're like, 
I thought that was it. And yeah, this is the one. This is the probably looking back was a little bit of trauma bonding. Yeah, like I mean, so he came up that weekend. It was weird because he slept on the floor, and I was like, that's kind of weird. He was like, yeah, I'm just uncomfortable. And then like the night before he left, like he broke up with me, and we tried to like hang out the rest of the weekend and make it kind of yeah. not uncomfortable. But inside, I'm like dying. You know what I mean? And so I just remember that night after he left, standing in like the foyer of the dormitories and just having that feeling. And it was probably the same feeling I had when I lost my grandmother of just like so empty Mm. and so, so much pain and not knowing what to even do with it or why, Mm -hmm. or just kind of like, I need help. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. All the alarms were going off. So that's, that's actually when I kind of got into, you know, I remember perusing the shelves at Barnes and Noble in the self-help section going, which one is me? You know, like, what do I need? Is it, is it, you know, the codependency book? Is it, and I read all the books. And you did that at 18. And I did that at like 18, 19 years old because I knew something was wrong. And I kept focusing on dance and I had some beautiful people there. It was a lovely program and I made some great friends there, but something was just, I wasn't okay. I didn't feel okay. I was, um, you know, I wasn't probably nourishing myself. I was having all the self-destructive thoughts. And one day I went home. I was kind of struggling with just having the motivation to dance and go to school. And I'm looking around going, this isn't what I really thought it was going to be. I don't know if this is the life I really want to live. I don't know that I want to live as a dancer in New York City. Like, this looks different than I imagined, you know. And I went home one day and took a nap. It was in the middle of the day. And I had a dream. And it's, to this day, the most impactful dream I've ever had. It was so real. Wow. I can still, like, get chills and sometimes cry when I think about it. But the dream was, (laughs) I was a young Jewish girl, probably around 12 or 13, and I was running. And I was running from two Nazi soldiers, and there was no help anywhere to be found. There were no people. I was on the run, and they were out for my life. And the only thing I remember or that I knew to do was there was this outdoor, it was like an outhouse, an old rickshaw yeah. porta potty thing. And I went out and I literally dove into the shit to hide because it's the only place that I thought they wouldn't find me. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. You still remember crazy. That. And I woke up crying and drenched in sweat. I've never experienced anything like it. And I called my dad and I said, I have to come home. I can't, I can't be here anymore. And I left New York. Wow. And it was that. Like that, that easy, that simple. I didn't think about it. I didn't think about the consequences. I was like, I'm not okay. And I came back to Oklahoma City. I felt like a disappointment. Because everyone, I know that I, I knew I made my dad so yeah. proud. I knew yeah. that people were so proud of me going off. He's like, she's going to New York to dance. And then I came home like, right, right, How long were you there? I was only there for three trimesters, like a full year. It was a year-round program. Oh, well, that's it's kind of long. So it was like, yeah, so it was yeah. like a full year yeah. you know, experience. But it was only a three-year program because you went year, year mm-hmm. long. So I came home and... Of course, my, you know, dad, who's like my biggest support system, he's like, I will support you, but you have to be in school and, you know, different things like that. I'll help you. So I went home and I didn't really know what to do. I did start counseling. I got in to see a counselor. So that was, you know, I I knew something wasn't right. I started taking classes at UCO in Edmond just Mm -hmm. to take classes. I took my old job from high school back and was waiting tables at a place called Doc's. Okay. I don't know if you remember that place. Uh, the same owners as Pearls. Okay, I used to work at Pearls. 
Okay, now I'm laughing because my dad is one of the investors at Pearl. Really? I just, yeah, the so one I grew on, up like the one on by 63rd. the mall. Yeah, the one by Penn Square. Okay, that's so funny. Oh my god, well, that's side converse. My dad and now. Brielle are actually going to Pearls right now for lunch. Oh, as we were talking, I love Pearls. So anyway, so anyway, so I went back to waiting tables, and you know the restaurant business is what it is. It's a, it was partying, it was drinking. I was having a blast. I was going to school. I was getting my work done. I had a lot of friends. I was partying. I was doing all the things and obviously not healthy yeah I mean in any way I was just numbing and and all of that kind of moving through some different relationships you know just trying things on nothing really stuck did date one person who I did really like feel connected with and it was I thought it was a healthy relationship he came home one day and said I'm moving to Boston to pursue a different career and I was like oh trigger abandonment yeah (laughs) again yeah it was like this build up of kind of layers of protection each time something would happen it, I was just wiring my own brain to say I am worth being abandoned I'm not worth sticking around for something's wrong with me which is the same thoughts I had you know early on from traumatic stuff so anyway so then I kind of went back into the you know the drinking and the thing so that was probably you know, the first little dip was at New York realizing something wasn't right. This is probably the second dip. And this is when I voluntarily asked to go to inpatient treatment mm. for my eating disorder. Mm. And at the same time, I got clean of alcohol and drugs and I quit smoking, which was something that as dancers we did as well. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, you know, I went in, I went in voluntarily. I stayed for 30 days. I was like, please, I, I would have done anything to just feel better. Feel normal. I was like, maybe they can help me to do that. I was in my early twenties. Okay. I'm going to guess. I don't really remember. Maybe 22, 23. Yeah. So still pretty young. You know, you said your collective trauma, which is usually, I feel like how it happens. Mm-hmm. I feel like once one thing happens, there's a cluster of things, but what's interesting about yours is it did happen pretty early mm-hmm. and not early enough to where you don't remember, but 13, 14, 15, it's like, there's the cluster. And then you can see everything spiraling after that. Yeah. And I feel like that obviously happens for different people at different times. Mine wasn't until my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So I had all of that unawareness until my mid twenties and then everything started happening, but you had yours at like 13, you know? So it's just interesting, it's interesting. to hear the timelines of people's when they, with the trauma. Yeah. And where, and then the different ages and how they, yeah. and how we cope exactly. at different ages yeah. based on our surroundings. Yeah. If you're anything like I used to be, you are go, go, go without taking much time to slow down and be present in the moment to not only enjoy it, but to make rational decisions from a centered place. That all changed once I learned to not overwhelm myself and actually start removing things off of my plate and off of myself. The last few years have taught us how important mental health is to our overall state of well-being. Let me tell you, I am so glad I finally realized this and started implementing it into my routine, even in the busyness of life, which is when we need it the most. This is why I'm so glad I discovered 
Headspace. Headspace helps improve mental health through guided meditations, mindfulness practices, breathing and calming exercises, and so much more. These tools can help reduce anxiety, boost your mood, and help you sleep better. Headspace combines scientifically proven benefits of meditation and mindfulness with modern practices through their experienced meditation teachers. With its customized and personalized approaches, it can help you navigate through all of life's little moments, big or small. The guided meditations are the first thing I do in the morning before anything else. Clearing my mind, breathing, and getting grounded to take on the day helps me in every area of life, business, work, and relationships. Headspace has helped me and more than 100 million people worldwide. They can help you too. So listen up. I've arranged something special. For a limited time, all of you can try Headspace free for 30 days by going to headspace.com slash habits 30. You won't find this offer anywhere else. You must use my link H-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E dot com slash habits 30 to unlock all of Headspace free for 30 days. This isn't something they normally do, so jump on it now. Headspace.com slash habits 30. So I went to treatment and it went well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was I you know, I actually getting out of treatment was one of the scariest things ever, especially when it came to food, mm-hmm. because I had to now feed myself mm-hmm. by myself. And in treatment, it's like, here's your, you know, you had a checklist. You need one protein and one this. And they teach you how to eat, which is great. But it's also like, I mean, nobody eats like that. It's not realistic. But probably also you were so controlled there. It was very controlling, which for me is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Because I'm really. Maybe at the time it was. Yeah. You said it was like scary to be in the real world because I now have to take care of myself. Exactly. It's kind of like, now what? I remember coming out of that, just feeling very vulnerable, like feeling good about it, you know, being grateful for my sobriety and feeling like I was kind of on the road to healing, but feeling very vulnerable. And at the time I almost felt like there was a stigma about being sober. You know, I was very relationship focused and I was like, I'm never going to meet someone who's going to want me. I mean, here's another thing that I was like yeah. shaming myself yeah. about now I'm sober. Now I'm really undesirable. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going to, where's now, uh, the perfect situation? So it's not this, it's not yeah. that. I was hanging out with a, a friend from high school at the time and just kind of being friends and doing what you do. And and her brother was coming over to the house. Well, anyway, that is my daughter's father. So we ended up dating and getting married. And he was also sober. And I was like, score, attachment. Let me like clink into this. Codependency. Codependency at its finest. So I jumped into that. And, you know, really like good guy. So grateful for my daughter. But it wasn't the right reasons or the right time or anything. I was doing what I thought I needed to do. And um, knowing your story, probably similar to your first, you know, situation in that I was like, he's a good guy. He comes from a good family. Like, let's get married because my friends are all doing that. Let's have a baby because that's what's next. And so I became like a chameleon that I was adapted to the situation. I was like the mom and, you know, like... Yeah, the like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my, this is the timeline. This is, he's safe and... Yeah, it felt safe. Yeah. And so while I'm kind of in this relationship, I, at that time, had been through treatment 
And I knew at that time that I wanted to help other people. So I went to grad school and I got my master's. It's called human relations at the University of Oklahoma, but it's basically a counseling track. So I became a licensed professional counselor. And that was the field I was working in as I was getting married. And I was, you know, looking at wanting to have kids and create my house. And so in my mind, again, it was all kind of cover up. You know, it was all kind of, it wasn't authentic, you know, yeah, totally. at some level. Yeah. I feel like you're young 20s. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. And, you know, you we know got married, like, mid-20s. Yeah. I had a daughter at 27, Plus which you have is all still... these other factors in play. Like, how can you know your authentic self if you're, like, labeling yourself as a mom, as a wife? Like, that's not who you are. And everything I'd ever identified with was a role. Mm-hmm. It was all identified with, like, I was a dancer or I was a mom or I was a, you know, it wasn't really like who you am I without everything, without the things that yeah. I'm supposed to be. Yeah. So we moved through a couple different states. We lived in Denver for a little bit. Um, well, so back backtrack a little bit. When I was in Oklahoma City, my first job was I worked, um, I contracted with the state and I did home-based therapy with sexually abused children. We moved to Denver and then I started, I worked for the University of Colorado in a day treatment program for adolescents. So I worked with mostly teen girls who were court-ordered because of drugs and alcohol. And then we moved to Albuquerque. And in that space, I worked for Albuquerque Job Corps as a guidance counselor for a couple of years until I had Brielle, who is my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, How old were you when you had your first daughter? I had, she's my only, and um, I was either 27 or 28. Okay. So I had it in two, 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 2003. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't crazy early. Yeah. And I, she was definitely planned and wanted, yeah. and like, she's definitely probably the biggest blessing and yeah. joy in my life, Aww. for sure. Anyways, after I had her, I was like, let's move back home. Like, it's hard, you know, and you want people around you that your family can help. help and your friends. Yeah. So we moved back home and did the, you know, we moved to Edmond and to the little organic communities and, and your husband had the was strollers and okay. yeah, and we were, we were married and, and when my daughter was three, she became severely ill one day. Long story short, she ended up in the ER with bacterial meningitis and in the ER, they told me that she wasn't going to make it through the night. Oh, my God. And it was the scariest moment ever. Then they told me that if she did make it through the night, that she would be deaf and brain damaged. And, you know, she just, t- they said, be prepared. Did they say how she could have gotten that? They didn't know. They couldn't figure it out. And that was kind of part of the whole other journey of figuring that out. It was a genetic issue. It was a, it was a deficiency. She's missing a gene. So anyway, so that happened and that kind of, I feel like in reflection is probably when our marriage started breaking down. And I think a lot of that was because that was very traumatic and scary. And I did go into massive like combat mode and lockdown and protecting her from germs. And, you know, and I was like, no, we're not doing that. Like I became her in my mind, her advocate, you know, I'm like her shield. I was like, no, you can't do that. That's not safe. And no, we can't, you know, and it was just a very interesting time. And I think it also brought a lot of light to the problems in the marriage, which was really just that there wasn't a genuine connection that it should have been. I mean, it's not that anything was wrong with anyone. Um, We both started drinking again during that marriage. So we both went off of our paths and, and that's kind of the way that happened. So I asked for a divorce, a lot of shame in that. You know from Oklahoma City that it's like, oh my God, did you hear who got divorced? Exactly. And that is how that city runs sometimes. In my story, I say I spent a year just trying 
to be okay with getting a divorce. Yeah. It wasn't like, I wasn't trying to save the marriage. I was trying to save my, I don't even know, my identity maybe? Yeah, like this image yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I was trying to be like, am I going to be okay with being the divorced woman in Oklahoma City? And I went to therapy for a whole year going back and forth. I would go to her and be like, okay, I can do it. And the next week I come back, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, okay, I'm still in love with him. I want to make this work. It was just... Yeah, it wasn't the pain of the relationship. It was the pain of what will people think. Of failure. Of failure. I felt ashamed that I didn't do better. And then on top of that, I'm a mom. And I'm a single mom, so there's this stigma that kind of goes with that. Um, I felt like I failed her or what's she going to go through because that's not what I wanted for her. I mean, obviously, I didn't go into it trying to induce a whole bunch of trauma on her when I'm trying to unravel my own, you know. So that happened, and things just started not going great for me. I had some ups and downs. I did get a great job um, working as an after-school club director at Westminster School, which is a really lovely school there in the city. I was teaching a lot of yoga. That was probably my saving grace of everything. It's always been my yoga practice. I was, you know, kind of dating here and dating there. I got involved. My relationship history is very interesting and somewhat humorous sometimes, but got involved with a man who, you know, kind of rescued it and kind of like, I'll save you. You don't need to work. You can work at my office. Mm, you don't I'm need to do that. Yes. Here. I want to, I want to soften your struggles. Let me pay for this so that you don't have to. And, you know, I was vulnerable and that sounded really good. And I almost was, well, I did. I completely abandoned myself for this illusion of, what safety was like. And um, long story short, we did move in together and it became very abusive, not physically, but um, you know, a lot of anger, a lot of raging, a lot of throwing stuff, a lot of stuff that made me feel really scared because I even, you know, growing up, I didn't see that either. So I was scared of anything emotional, whether it was, you know, on either end of the spectrum, you know, but he had these great Kids and I loved the sense of family that it brought because I had all these kids and I was like playing the stepmommy kind of role. Like I was the 90% good times and then the 10% batshit crazy. Batshit crazy. And so I knew that I had to get out of that situation. And I know I didn't know how I was going to get out, but I knew I had to get out and I knew that it had to be calculated and I knew it had to be a plan because I knew it wasn't going to go over well. It wasn't like I was going to sit down and go, I don't think we're working out. It wasn't going to be that situation. I felt a little fearful. We had taken a road trip out to Denver, both of us and all of the children together and drove into a tornado in Kansas or drove through a tornado with softball size hail. Our cars were decimated on the side of the road. Anyway, we went ahead and we went to the trip. We came home, but there were no cars. We had no cars. They were both totaled. So I rented the vehicle and that was my out. Because we, I said, I'll just take you to and from work. And so I went back home and and I had some people in place. And in three hours, I vacated the premises. Oh my God. And moved into a duplex of a male friend of mine at the yes. time. So how was that your out? Was your car not your car? He was stuck at work because I had rented a car and I had dropped him off. So I knew he wouldn't be able to come home until I picked him back up. Gotcha. So if on a regular day, if he was at home, you didn't feel safe enough to do it. I knowing wouldn't. he could have maybe come home. Right. 
Okay. Wow. Interesting. I knew I had hours. Wow. I knew I had like at least three hours crazy? before I started getting texts going, yeah. Hey, where are you? When are you coming back? You yeah. know? And then I finally was like, I'm not, yeah. I'm gone. And you know, and this seems like that should have been the rock bottom, but it wasn't. That was kind of like the beginning of, of, of on the way stuff. down, <laughs> but on the way down, we kind of floated through that. And that was scary at the time. Now I look back and I find it humorous actually that I was that scared, yeah, but it just shows where I was. Mentally and emotionally. I had to carefully calculate mine as well. I mean, I did. Fortunately, I was able to. I was. I got strong enough to where I could sit. I did sit him down and I said, "I'm, I'm breaking up with you." And I ended up even staying a whole week after. But I had to have plans in place. I was like, my grandma had to call her and make sure I could come to Florida. I had to buy a one-way ticket. But before that, I wouldn't have been able to leave had I not had a plan. Yeah. It wasn't like, I'm going to go get my own apartment. I had no money. I had no car. I had his car. I had his right. money. So right. I don't even know how. I can even remember. I think I think I had saved up enough to buy a one-way ticket. And that was it. I was lucky to have the job I had at the school because it gave me stable income and benefits. And, and I, I did have that. And I did maintain that through the whole relationship. Um, so that was good. I, there's part of me that had that strength then. But, you know, I so I've never, at this point, I'd never gone in my life. I was in a relationship with somebody. Yeah. And it's kind of like when I would find that one boat was on fire, I would just find another burning boat to jump to, you know, because heaven forbid, I, you know, actually just stand alone on the ground and feel anything at all. So So, interesting, because I feel like we have very similar upbringings with our parents of how, you know, we didn't see abuse or fighting and we were very loved, but we both didn't have the emotional... Right. Love that we should have gotten. As like children. I didn't see fighting, but I didn't see hugging. Yeah, either. exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, that makes me question my relationships. I was always in a relationship too, and they weren't ever that bad. But uh, uh, yeah, it just makes me wonder why we would do that at such a young age. Yeah, why we just try to jump from relationships. It's like that's. It's like we're seeking that, you know. So so I so I move out of that situation. I move into, um, like I said, friend at the time who became my second husband. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. Because look, I'm like living in the back of your duplex. Like you seem safe. Why not? You know what I've been through. Like you'll yeah. accept me. And you know, again, in reflection, not the best idea in my heart. Like no hard feelings there. I still consider him a good friend oh, of mine. Good. Yeah. Um, yes, we had problems, but because it wasn't right, not because you know anything. And and we maintain a friendship today. And what he brought, um, and what I'm grateful for is he brought a really healthy male presence to my daughter's life and they still have a connection too. Um, that was the reason. And that was the reason yeah. he came into my life yeah. and, and, and she needed that at the time because yeah. I was very lost. And, and so there was that, but again, I was back to drinking and, you know, so there was fighting, you know, alcohol doesn't, yeah. doesn't serve anything mm-hmm. at all. And so eventually it just fizzled because it, again, it wasn't, it wasn't right. And I was looking for something that I wasn't finding in these relationships so I, I got out of that and I kind of started to Get feel like I was going. getting a strike going. I was like, okay, I have a job. Um, you know, I've been teaching yoga forever, but I finally had all the like training that I wanted under my belt to be able to say that I'm teaching yoga and I'm teaching all these places and I'm feeling really confident in what I do. And I've got this great daughter and she's great. And, you know, so I'm kind of like, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of on my own. I still have some toxic bonds with people, like, in reflection. But 
kind of on my own. And then I meet. <laughs> this is where it gets really fun. Third time. This charm. is where we get juicy. So I, well, I didn't meet. This is a student or like one of my cycling classes. I taught a lot of cycling back in the day, and um, and I received a job offer to open the cardiac rehab yoga fitness program at Oklahoma Heart Hospital. Wow. They were implementing a new program. They needed like someone who knew about yoga and fitness. And so I, you know, so I took the job because it was a great job with benefits and wasn't really my kind of job, but I felt like it was a really, it was a blessing because of my situation as a single mom. I'm like, I'll have insurance. I'll be able to pay the bills. I'll still be doing sort of what I do, even though it's a different setting. that just came into your life for that it reason. It came into my life time. to give yeah. me that, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I take this job and my, well, ultimately my boss at the time, who was a female, and I developed a relationship. Mm-hmm. And if you thought that the sweeping in narcissistic thing couldn't get any smoother, boy howdy, this was it. With a female. With a female. And that's where things get interesting, especially in reflection. Because it was the same. It was it was this very intense like connection that almost scared me, but that I thought in my mind that it was magnetic. Now I realize that was red flag toxicity alert, like from above, like run as fast as you can. But I got because again, I was vulnerable. Um, so we started kind of hanging out. There was like this kind of interesting connection and I was like, Hmm, there's something there. Maybe explore this. So I'll explore this. Maybe this is the problem, right? Like maybe I'm just like in the wrong arena. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love all people. Like, I don't know. I don't think that's it, but why not? Like, so, um, so anyway, so I'm on her, I'm on my way to her house one night and, uh, I've got a bottle of wine and ingredients to make dinner mm-hmm. and always a bottle of vodka in the car. Wine always and a vodka. Bottle of vodka. <laughs> and I'm driving out to her house for dinner and I have a car accident and I have a rollover accident and I was pinned upside down in the car and firefighters pulled me out. And the only thing I could think about was where's that bottle of vodka because it's been, I mean, I wasn't drinking at the time, but it's been opened and I'm going to be in trouble. I couldn't, I, I wasn't like, am I okay? Yeah, I wasn't are like, my legs attached? Nothing. I was like, where's the bottle of vodka? So I called her because that's where I was heading. She came to the scene. She very much enabled me by probably sweeping up any vodka or wine or anything else that was, um, you know, in the car. Yeah. And I wasn't hurt. I mean, I was hurting, but I wasn't injured. Yeah. Crazy. Thank God. But um, I was vulnerable. My car had been totaled. I was hurt. She's like, just come stay at my place. I'll take care of you. It's fine. You don't have to go to work because I'm in charge of that. All the things. And I'm like, okay, well, this feels really safe. I feel safe. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. Feel Since my grandma, right? Yeah. I'm looking for that person that yeah. sees me, that yeah. will protect me. So true. And this, and I was like, maybe this is it. And then maybe there's this feminine aspect. Maybe I need that feminine thing, you know? So that quickly dissolved to... You know, I didn't have a car. She's like, we can just share my car. You can just stay here as long as you want. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're getting involved in this relationship. Well, there's like nepotism involved yeah. in a work scenario. So she's like, and, and she's like, I really think that we should get married. 
And I'm thinking, no. I'm really thinking I'm done with yeah. the marriage thing at this point. I'm in, in my mind at that time, I'm like, I'm not really good at that. Just yeah. so you know, like not my thing. And um, she's like, no, because like if something were to happen to you and I wouldn't be able to like help or have a yeah. say in things. And, oh, I would, you know, like if, you. if you, yeah, like if I were like on my deathbed, she yeah. wouldn't have a, and I'm, and so for some reason I thought that seemed like, oh, okay. She was really care about yeah. me, you know, really persuasive. Very persuasive. So I quit my job because I had to and married her. Next time on Habits You Love. Then I found out that she was, in fact, married to someone else. Like, the universe is basically like, here is your chance to run. Mm. Like, here you go. Like, and I did it. This is the most toxic relationship I've ever been in in my life. It literally almost killed me. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.